welcome to the Geek and Review Podcast. I'm Jeremy Pappas, alongside, as always, Olympic gold medalist in the 200-meter dice throw, Mr. Russell Jones. Russell. It was a hell of a dice throw. I want to thank my coach, uh, Penguin, who has been uh, kind of with me all the way. It was just um, all glory to God, you know, being with me right there in the saddle as we cranked her up and... I tell you, I, I, it was controversial that I decided not to go with the D20, but that D4 just, it sailed. You should have seen it. That was the wrong the song. Record next year. That was the wrong song. <laughs> that was yeah, what were you humming? That was Pomp and Circumstance. Yeah, not, try the uh, national anthem. Eh, that's, I was, see, when I think, when I think of giving a grand speech, I don't think of, you know, a great Olympic athlete. I think of Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> What's going on, man? Oh, it's been a hell of a week. We've had a lot of breaking news we've been doing down in uh, Baton Rouge. Uh, so that's kept me busy. I've also spent a lot of time in EVE Online, um, mm. kind of kicking around uh, the new corporation. I joined EVE University, uh, been attending some classes, took part in the Noob Ship Rome the other, week, the other day, which was awesome. It's like, if you've played... Most MMOs, you have a first level character and they're kind of, you know, useless and they'll, and sometimes people will run around and, you know, you'll get like in, in World of Warcraft, you'll get 40, you'll get a level one raid that all goes and tries to kill Hogger. Uh, well, this was kind of the same thing. We took like 70 or 80, you know, starter ships because they just revamped them in the last update and roamed around low sex space looking for a fight. And we actually popped two, uh, I think a battle cruiser and a cruiser hmm. and then an entire fleet full of uh, a corporation that had declared war on Eve University showed up and wiped us all out. It was fantastic. Sounds like fun. Always a good time. So I'm doing that. And uh, I also got into a Twitter conversation with the hell cow himself, mm -hmm. Keith Baker of I'm the guy who created Eberron fame. Right. Got to love some Keith Baker. Someone had mentioned about um, about uh, Eberron, and I, met, I said Eberron was so good, I put it into everything. Fourth edition, 13th age, mm -hmm. salads, you name it. <laughs> and then he, Keith Baker tweeted back, he's like, I need to come by and have dinner at your place. I was like, hey, anytime you're in Baton Rouge, stop on by. And he said, I will. So that's excellent. Well, we do know that uh, it was a couple of years back, but Keith Baker did take a summer just couch surfing and playing D and D with people, which is awesome. Yeah, which is pretty much exactly what I want to do forever. So there's that. Oh man, it was a, it was a great week. It was a big week this week. Uh, the big thing that really, I mean, obviously curiosity was the really big news. And continues to be. And I was really happy that so many people kind of got into it. I mean, the the just hearing NASA talk about curiosity and, and what they had to do with the rocket sled and the sky just, crane. Oh man. It's just it's like it's like something you would see in a movie. And it's it, it just got really it got a lot of people really seriously jazzed about about space exploration, at least for a few days. I mean, everyone for a while was talking about curiosity. So I was, uh, that's, you know, that's really good to see. And this is one of those things when you really do sit down and look at all the different moving parts it took to happen, you know, people have been kind of talking about that seven minutes of terror. The thing came in, it was in a capsule, the capsule mm -hmm. broke apart. 
there was this, like you said, rocket sled that was basically holding the Curiosity that fired rockets to slow its ascent down, and then it lowered this thing on a cr- on literally a crane, and then let it go so that it would hit the surface upright, you know, mm-hmm. on its wheels, just just very gently drops it down, and didn't screw up any of the. Right. Billions of dollars worth of equipment on board, including a giant death laser. We sent something <laughs> with a big ass freaking death laser to Mars. And oddly the- enough, there's also an oven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that the oven is, is going to be used for, you know, experimentation on, you know, but it is kind of funny to think that they just sent it up there for kicks. Let's throw an oven on it. Maybe, maybe some Martians can make some cookies and it's like- it'll bring it back. It's like a roving science convention. Yeah. Oh, it was classic. And then and then having to have the crane fire off rockets again once everything was on the ground so it wouldn't fall on, on top of Curiosity and destroy yeah. it. And then it created this plume that was picked up on a camera later. Then people went, wait, wait, what was that? What was that? There was something over there that moved in the dust. What the hell was that? And it got conspiracy <laughs> theorists going for about five minutes until someone said, oh, no, that was the... There was the rockets, you know, it was the thing that took it down and then it crashed after. Yeah, it had to. Or, you know, it would have crashed on top of Curiosity. It was really great to see, and you've you've seen undoubtedly the video of NASA kind of freaking out oh, yeah. whenever the thing goes down. My my favorite part of the video is of course the guy that freaks out like ten seconds before everybody else. Like you're watching it and you're watching you have to kinda of get the longer video to see it, but mm. you're watching it and all of a sudden this guy who looks like he should work at NASA starts going, Yes, yes, yes and then all of a sudden everyone erupts. He was yeah. apparently looking at uh actually um Maddow show had an interview or they talked to him and he was apparently he knew like certain stages that they had to get to, and once they got to a certain individual stage, that everything was going to be okay, and that's what set him off was getting to that last stage, and and he kind of early freaked out, and then everybody else got the got the official word from from uh, the uh, I don't know the guy with the joystick, <laughs> yep. who said yeah we're down now, and then everyone yep. and then everyone lost their cool. It was uh, it was it was good stuff. It was really cool to see. So this is obviously a very a very big deal for the space program and you know it it's it's goodwill and it's the kind of win mm-hmm. that they kind of needed yeah, at this point it, right? it is i mean not too long ago they there were some pretty controversial cuts made and change of directions made uh to NASA's budget and there were a lot of people that were really upset about you know, all that they were doing and the changes that were being made by the administration and essentially thinking, oh, well, we've given up on, you know, that that great, the greatest of human endeavors and we're never going to do anything like this again and, you know, all that. And I I felt at the time it was a little overblown. Sure, it's sad to think we are not going to go back to the moon, but you know what? We've gone back to the moon. I mean, I don't often go back to playing Super Mario Brothers. You know, uh, mm. it was good, and, and it was something that I'll never forget, and it was awesome, but as far as actually sitting down and playing it, maybe occasionally, but as far as really investing time and effort into it, yeah, I just don't. I mean, that's sort of the way with the moon. Everyone's, well, we need to go back to the moon. Well, we've been to the moon. So I, I think this was a really good kind of wake-up call for people to say, you know what, NASA is here, they're still, they're still NASA, they're still one of the things that Americans can be the most proud of. 
and uh, they haven't gone anywhere, and they're still doing this crazy, crazy shit that you can you you just don't even think is is possible. They're still pushing the bounds of what humans can do, and it was good to see that this this what seems kind of like a like a Doctor Evil kind of plan yeah. <laughs> really worked out, and that that it that it worked well, and there were no problems. So yeah, if you had described the whole setup to me ahead of time, I would I would have probably been in curious just to watch simply because I was like, okay, how many different ways can this go wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that's the thing. After other problems that they've had, I, I just hadn't been that interested, and now suddenly I'm interested again. Like I've been, I've been checking the photos and I've been looking at the panoramic uh, shots. There's one really gorgeous panorama that has um, that I posted uh, on my Facebook wall. That's got, you know, at one point it, you can see the uh, tracks and and the route that Curiosity took to get on top of the hill that it took before it, it snapped this shot. And the ground is, you know, it's a lot of rust red. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of oxidized green in there. You know, it's it's a really cool shot. I just see those tire tracks in a circle and then going over the hill like, right. I'm on Mars! Whee! <laughs> like, it's, you know, it, it's cool. And it's, it's really worth getting incredible. excited about. I mean, it's it's you get kind of used to seeing certain kinds of pictures of space and they're always kind of grainy and kind of crappy. But it, it's pictures from Curiosity that get you to really kind of get closer to it and really understand that this is actually a place that, that actually exists. It's not like something that somebody's creating. I mean, obviously we know that Mars is, is a place and that there are things there and it's not on earth. But when you see these pictures and like you said, you see the tire tracks and the dust and you see the horizon. And as it spreads out, you're like, wow, that's really a place that we've gone to. So yeah. you see the, the three shot of uh, Jupiter and I want to say earth and another planet. They were all in, in, you know, of, you, of, you could see them, and they're right next to each other in the in the sky. So it was, like I said, it's worth getting excited about, and hopefully, maybe it inspires you know the next wave of uh, of space interested kids, you know, going through and and getting all those STEM skills and. Mm-hmm. Then going to class, and who knows? By that time, maybe the private sector will actually have invested enough to get some stuff done. Yeah, to really to make space flight something you can do, yeah, or or you can work on without having to work at NASA because I mean NASA can only employ so many people. Exactly, and they're you know at the whim of those kind of budget cuts. See, I think while the moon may not be the the domain for NASA at this point, NASA needs to continually you know go further. Oh yeah, and I agree. Be on that edge. I think private corporations actually have a a reason to go to the moon. Yeah, absolutely. Whether that whether that be to test new stuff, whether that be to uh, build you know attempt colonization, you know that kind of stuff. Because I was I had this conversation with one of my reporters who he he's kind of frat guyish and you know he's not not exactly the kind of the sciencey type person mm-hmm. you expect so he's looking at this thing going what the hell is it green when he was looking at that picture i was talking about i was like well it's because the the ground's oxidizing you know it's rusting essentially the same way that the statue of liberty turned green and he's like so it's got atmosphere yeah so it's got soil yeah can we grow shit there uh no because there's no, there's no one, water a. there's no there's there's there is trace – I think there's like trace water existing in the air, but it's barely – because, I mean, how yeah. else does it rust? Right. But um, there's not – the right nutrients aren't available in the soil. There's no oxygen. You know, the, the atmosphere is 95 98% carbon dioxide. 
So those are the you, kind of the two bigger things. One, you need water. Two, you need oxygen. And then you could kind of go hydroponics. But even then, the, the ground, the soil doesn't necessarily have all the right nutrients right. to sustain it. But that should be – I was saying, you know, terraforming, that should be where the space program goes next. If we can conceivably get to Mars and – you know, get a real, very, very close nitty-gritty understanding of the soil, literally nitty-gritty, mm-hmm. then maybe we can find some way to start uh, changing it and you know, terraforming, you know, change the composition of the soil so it could support plant life, do something to change the atmosphere so that you can actually start, you know, pumping oxygen into it. Um, I would think that's what Mars is best for. It's it's best for one exploration and, and figuring out, you know, could there was there water at some point? How did it get to the point that it is now? But then also let's work on figuring out how to settle this thing. Yeah. Could we fix the soil? Could we fix the atmosphere? And once we do that, then we're in a whole new ballpark. Then we're looking at more colonization possibilities. We're looking at, you know, we are no longer bound by this rock. Right. Which, in my opinion, that should be the ultimate goal of any space program at all. If we're at, if we're in, you know, still the first third of that big tech tree, and on the other end is light speed, light speed travel, mm-hmm. terraforming is at that end too. We need to be able to get off this rock, and space exploration should, you know, facilitate that. It's almost become like uh, it's always sort of been uncool, but it's almost become like like genuinely uncool to talk about colonizing other planets and and uh, talking about that sort of really intense scientific. You know, it, it's amazing how many people still consider that to be almost science fiction. When you're like, you know what? Just look at how they got Curiosity on Mars. I mean, if they can pull that off and make that work, yeah. I mean, who's imagine what happens if you have right. twenty of those things? all landing at once at different portions of the planet that all kind of sync up and start working together. And then you, you know, you start accomplishing larger tasks. I guess we'll see. I think the, uh, I think it's a, uh, the one thing that curiosity has done is to remind everyone that NASA is not dead. Yep. And you know, that, that may be more important than any discovery that curiosity comes up with on Mars yep. when you really, when you really get down to it. So I'm uh, I'm stoked, and I'm going to be continuing to to kind of check it out and and watch what's going on, um, over on Mars, because that's how that's how we roll now. We're on Mars. Yep. yep. Uh, well, let's switch gears for a little bit. Something past, uh, uh, kind of a Kickstarter caught our eye this week. It's uh, put on by a company called Brass Monkey out of Boston, Massachusetts, and Brass, Brass Monkey, Monkey, yeah. Brass Monkey is concerned primarily with they've created a console where the controllers are based on your smartphone. Uh, you you play on any sort of web-enabled screen, but your controller is on your Android or iOS device. And, yeah, and uh, it's, a, it's a program. It's not a. It's not a. Uh, right. It's, it's not, not a, a. It's not a physical console. That's right. But but the way it's almost a console-less console because they release games and you play them on your. Your yeah, web... it's, a plat- it's a platform like Steam, I think. Right, right. So uh, Brass Monkey does I – mean, this, this is what they do, is this integration between you know, a web-enabled screen, be it a TV or a tablet or what have you, and your smartphone. What they're 
what they've put on Kickstarter now is kind of a side project that they're looking to get published or that they're looking to get out there called the Dragon's Game Board. Now, the Dragon's Game Board is an open source, which is really important. We need to remember open, it's open sourced. It's an open sourced, essentially virtual tabletop. It gives you a 20 by 20 grid that as a DM you can color and, and do just like you would your 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 vinyl grid that you draw on. It gives you your vinyl grid and it allows players to control their character, move their tokens around with their, uh, like Brass Monkey does, with their uh, mobile device. And their argument for the need for this thing, this Dragon's Game Board, is that you have more and more people that are playing in smaller and smaller spaces. You have apartment dwelling, you have, you know, multiple places where there's just not the kitchen table area. Or maybe you've got too many people for you to all fit around your very small kitchen table. I know at my house that's that's kind of the that's kind of the issue. I have space, but not a whole lot. I can fit maybe a five person party, but you get to six and it's kind of stretching it. And that's something that we ran into because we we actually have a kind of an opposite problem. We have a dining room table that's really big and nice, and part mm-hmm. of the reason we bought it was because, you know, one of the things we thought about was how many people can we fit around this for D and D? That is literally part of the decision we made. But, you know, the apartment is so small where we have the table that mm-hmm. we cannot utilize it to it. Right, and, to and that's kind quick. of my issue, too. I think I have I have a really large table, but I just don't have the space to put it, you know, yeah. where it needs to be. I mean, one end of it kind of has to be pressed up against the wall, which takes away from, you know, where people can sit. But And it requires kind of getting it out, because even if I get it to a place where everyone can sit around it, it can't stay there. It has to be moved back, otherwise it's just really seriously in the way constantly. So, mm-hmm. um, from they've posted concept art and they have a video on uh, Kickstarter that I'll link in the podcast page. Uh, I really, I really dig what they're what they're uh, what they're doing. I think it is it's really cool. It works really well from what they've from what they've talked about. Now the reason it's on Kickstarter is because it's like I said, it's just kind of a side project that they're putting together. If they can get it funded, then they'll create it and it'll be free for everyone to use. So I'm uh, I'm interested, especially considering we've played some D and D via Skype, and uh, attempted to use is it Dragon Forge or what's it called? Uh, like Tabletop Forge. Or yeah, Tabletop like Forge. Yeah. We've attempted yeah. to use Tabletop Forge, which granted is still in beta, but it has a lot of it has bugs. It has things that I'm sure they're still working out, but it just really didn't give me the. It just really didn't give me that that essence of D and D. And this, I don't know if it's because um, the the graphics are kind of eight bit, which gives it almost a classic NES Zelda look. It actually, reminds which me I a little love. I, I think it looks. I, I like it too. I think it looks really nice. It actually a little more than Zelda reminds me of an old game called Highlight. If you've ever played Highlight, it's mm. very similar. It's an overhead grid, and you can move around. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, and it, it, very similar to. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of JRPGs that follow this same look, like right. Chrono Trigger to an extent. Right. Um, uh, I think Legend of Mana. Um... Yeah, Legend of Mana. That was the one I've, I've actually been trying to think about since I started talking about this. It's this overhead sort of 8-bit look. And, uh, I mean, they've got a lot of really neat features that they've that they've worked, uh, that they're working on. Um, character tokens, being able to uh, edit the map, save the map, share the map with people. There's a dice rolling, uh, there's a dice rolling... 
I, I hazard to call it an app. There's a dice. Yeah, roll it's a function, function on there that allows you to to roll dice in front of everybody. And I think the the two real keys to this that that I can see it making it a success because it's not a new concept. The mm-hmm. two things I think that are really going to make it the keys to its success are that it's open source, so you'll have people editing it and changing it, and you won't have to rely on the company to give you exactly what you want. If you want more of a D20 modern kind of feel to it and you want those, then you'll be able to create those. If you want a crap ton of artists making a ton of different skins exactly. uh, that, that they can load into the game. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Allowing the community to kind of pick up the mantle and run with it without having to devote all of your company resources to it is really a great idea. That that too few people that create things for uh, for tabletop gaming do. Way too few people. I think tabletop gamers overall should be the ones that are embracing this open source this open source philosophy and the fact that it's free for anyone to use you're not going to have to pay a monthly fee cuz that always gets really i mean yeah. we loved the uh the 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 D&D uh it's been so long. Their virtual tabletop, we, right? We, we, yeah, they had the virtual tabletop. They had, uh, which I think they've stopped production on. They have. They, and yeah. now Paizo has, has said, hey, we're going to make one. So. one. And, uh, you know, the character creator, the character generator, the compendium. But the problem is you have so many people paying it. Does everybody pay for the the access? Does It's really... it causes one person issues. pay to share their information? Right, it yeah. causes issues. So... I, I like that it's free and that it's going to be open source, and I really hope they get it. Uh, they get it funded. Yeah, I the things that stick out to me, as said before, the eight bit look I think was a great, great idea because mm-hmm. uh, I can just see this working where you've got you know one board that's twenty by twenty with a map that's an encounter that you go through, and then it kind of shoots up a screen or right a screen, just like in you know a top down Legend of Zelda RPG. Um, you have, I mean, this. Again, just to kind of set the scene, this would play out on a computer monitor or a TV, typically, like a right. big screen TV. Right. I, I think a TV is TV. where it's really going to be used. Yes. If you have Netflix on yes. your TV, you'll be able to you'll be able to get the Dragon's Game Board, and you can all sit around the living room. You won't have to clear. I mean, they and everyone this will little... have everyone will have their smartphone or tablet, and right. it'll have their controller on it, and then they, you know, move, roll dice, and do everything else they need to do on the screen from their individual device. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that be an Android phone, an Android tablet, an iPhone, an iPad, something along those lines. You know, I, I, the only thing I can think of that might hazard a problem with uh, the the overall usefulness of the uh, Dragon's Game Board, which is something I'm sure Brass Monkey... I mean, Brass Monkey deals with constantly, so it's probably being overblown in my brain, is people who... Has it become so... Have iOS devices and Android devices become so ubiquitous that we can just assume everyone has one? I would say yes among the set that they're going for. It's no your customer. And I agree. I mean, I mean, this, this is being made for specifically RPG players who want a web-based or digital something mm-hmm. to replace the traditional board. And those players will almost assuredly have iPhones, they'll have Android phones, they'll have maybe Windows phones, mm-hmm. and they'll have a uh, tablet PC. I mean, we have 
like our house, we have between Macy and myself four iOS devices. We have two tablets and two iPhones. Mm. So, and if we potentially upgrade, then you know we might have another one kind of sitting around somewhere. So we could have multiple i devices that we could then loan, you know, kind of let our friends use, right. or potentially pass and play uh, becomes a possibility with this. Yeah. So you you have one like you know the DM has a tablet, and then there's one person's iPhone that they pass around. I I think it's got real potential. At the moment, it's got 30 days, 29 days to go. It's got 4,000 plus of its $21,000 goal. I really hope that this picks up steam and um, and really hits its goal. I mean, it should, judging on the pace that it's on. But it's a neat idea. I hope it gets developed, and I hope that it you know. I hope that it's supported really well. And some of the backing goals they have, uh, like you pay 20 bucks and you get a ton of coins to spend on their Brass Monkey platform for you know actual gaming, not RPG gaming. Right. Uh, you'll get access to premium character tokens. You know, there there's a lot there. I, I will link it obviously, but it's worth going and looking at. And I want to say this: the Kickstarter video was pretty good. It was decent in that. Oh, don't you know, talk yeah. about them. Don't. <laughs> Are you going to talk about the man's dog? Okay, okay, hear me <laughs> Don't out. Don't talk about the man's dog. Hear me out. Uh, Kickstarter videos are almost their own thing at this are. point. Because, you know, you, you pitch, you describe, you show the product. Sometimes they have real crazy stuff that goes on. Like, I saw a uh, a video for this guy who wanted to make an authentic, quote-unquote, uh, sword fighting game, right? And Which he I had supposedly been this, on the podcast, possibly, yeah. And he'd been this writer, and he said, but but the video was really crazy because you know he was sitting in this kind of smoking jacket kind of room, and then all of a sudden someone came crashing through a green screen, and then he's walking around, and there's tons of guys with swords fighting in the background. You know, you get that kind of thing. With this, you get to the third quarter of the video, and there's the CEO of the company, and he's sitting there with his dog. Don't talk about that. I still, I would but like no, no, to no, say no. right now. That I do not share these opinions. I find I find the dog to be adorable. Continue. Okay. I want one of us not to be the bad guy. Usually I'm the bad guy. Right now I think the dog's adorable. <laughs> Just saying so, that off off the off the bat. The the dog kind of has to be seen to believe, but it's an <laughs> it's, it's an Italian greyhound. greyhound. It doesn't have to be seen to believe. But it's sitting there, it's looking at the camera the whole time with its mouth open, just <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing and it's not moving. It's continuing to gaze into my soul. And there's no other reason for the dog to be here other than, hi, I'm blah, 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 and this is Trevor. And and it's the dog's just there. And it's looking at you like, you're going to fund this or I'm going to come eat your soul. It kind of freaked me out because I could not get over this dog staring at me. I didn't hear anything the rest of the guy said the rest of the video. <laughs> This oh, dog this is, this is like, pretty interesting. Crazy. I think I'll give these a what the hell is up with that dog? Right. <laughs> like seriously, if 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 it's one of those kind of you know quirky company branding things where you can get you know a ton of a t- all our all our dog uh, tokens look have Trevor's face emblazoned on it as that same <laughs> jaw open because these things have heads that look like crocodiles. They're massive and long. Italian and... greyhounds do not look like crocodiles. <laughs> His face is huge. It just doesn't end. I was like, ah. Anyway, that was my Kickstarter video experience. So <laughs> we talk about how much we enjoy the man's product, and you insult his dog. <laughs> Thanks a lot. I'm sure that it's a fine animal and a and a constant companion, but 
your god. Oh my god. <laughs> Why oh. put the dog in the video? It did not make any sense. Well, it's because it's a... I'm not even going to get into that. Go give the people at Brass Monkey your money so we can play on the Dragon's Game Board. If you give them a lot of money, I can't remember how much it was. I think it's like... Uh, I think it's it's more than five grand. If you give them $10,000 or more, you get to name the product. You can call it whatever you want. They won't call it the Dragon's Game Board. They'll call it the Russell Jones's Awesome Game Board or whatever. Mm. Which I thought was... I, I really... I, I, I will say this. I like their... The the stuff they're giving, I really do. Uh, I really do like the, the things they're doing. I think they're allowing you to make custom tiles and things like that, or or making custom tiles for you and playing games for you and and things like that. So I just go support these guys. Yeah, uh, it's worth it. I think. I think it is. I I definitely agree. Uh, really, we have a, we have just enough time. I think, which is quite a bit. To discuss a uh, little Joss Whedon news, we need—I think—we need to come up with like a stinger or something for when we talk about Joss Whedon or the Avengers. Um, it's the Joss Whedon part of the podcast. Joss Whedon set to direct Avengers Two, which actually—I'll I'll be honest—came as news to me. I just thought it was given that he was going to direct Avengers Two, but yeah. apparently it wasn't so much. Um, well, now it is so much. He's going to direct uh, Avengers Two, which. I, I, I'm like I said I, I'm not surprised by that I would have been I would have been stunned I mean I know Joss Whedon doesn't like to do two I know he doesn't like to do sequels I you know I mean I, I, I realize this but come on it is and I will I continue to say this it is it is a it is a Star Warsian movie it is one of those kind of movies and it's still playing at the local movie theater down here mm-hmm. still. That's fucking amazing. It's still playing here, and I, I, I would have been stunned if he was... I mean, I, the bigger news to me would be if he wasn't doing it. The fact mm-hmm. the idiot that he is, yes. I guess, if there was ever a chance that he wasn't going to do two, you know, big, massive, you know, U-Haul trucks full of money notwithstanding, that would have been the bigger the bigger news to me. I mean, the fact that he's doing it, I'm like, okay, yeah, that I, I'm... I, I kind of hoped you were working on it right now, to be honest with you. Yeah. So, and he's writing it too. Just just to clarify that, writing and directing, which is right. pretty damn cool. Uh, it is. Now he he co-wrote and directed the uh, the original, correct? Or did he just direct? I believe he was also the writer. I thought so. I thought so. Yeah. Anyway, I, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's let yeah. Joss uh, continue to make Avengers movies until either he's tired of making them or people stop wanting to go see them. We'll file this under surprisingly intelligent but logical decisions that corporations have made. I should have a stinger for that, too, but we don't yeah, really. hear it this once. Um, but on the flip side of the coin, there was something interesting that came out of the Joss Whedon will direct Avengers 2 announcement is at the same time they announced that he would be developing a new television show for uh, ABC under the Marvel license. Which, again, that's all the Disney products working together, because Disney owns Marvel and ABC. Right, right. So, uh, really interesting. Outside of Heroes, there's not really been a superhero show, well, Smallville, that's that's done really really well, but I think when they are done well, they become kind of cult favorites, like Lois and Clark, which I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan of, even though I don't really care mm-hmm. for Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, really big fan of Lois and Clark. Loves me some Dean Cain, and uh, Smallville obviously had its day in the sun, but 
don't know. I, I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time with those WB shows. Um, though Arrow is coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. And I'm I'm interested to see what we'll what we'll see on a because I mean Heroes was superhero-y, but not in the same way that Marvel is superhero-y. And uh, Heroes really only had, according to people that I know that loved uh, Heroes, really only had one season that mm-hmm. was great. Everything else, according to people I know, and I'm sure there are thousands of people that will disagree with them, but those the rest of the season sucked. Yeah. Uh, and it had to do the, with the writer's strike and all that. Yeah. And this show has been described, I believe, as kind of a, an enhanced uh, cop show, which leads a lot of people to believe that it could be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent show. Like, it could be looking at a group of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents going out and doing stuff in the world that the superheroes inhabit, you know, the Marvel Universe. It may not necessarily include heroes or actually any superpowered people at all, but it will include S.H.I.E.L.D. agents who are, you know, they can be pretty damn cool on their own. I mean, look at at Ant-Man, who's... Yeah, the other, you know, the other Ant Man, whose other moniker I can't immediately Eric is Irredeemable Ant Man. Uh, Irredeemable yeah. Ant Man, yeah. Yeah, the Irredeemable Ant Man. I mean, he started as a Shield agent. Look at Coulson, for God's sake. Right. Uh, if you potentially get something along those lines, I think expanding into the Shield uh, side of things is is a, a well deserved look at the men and women behind the Avengers. I tend to who, agree. Who only tend to die in large numbers, apparently. Right, I tend to agree. I will say this, however. We will see superheroes. You can't do the show without seeing superhero heroes. No, that, I mean, that's correct. You, they, they're go, they're, they are, they're going to put forth Marvel superheroes that we are familiar with in this whatever this is. If indeed they don't go a superhero centric, uh, a superhero centric show, or villains. Oh you no! Know, we'll we'll definitely see. We'll see superhero villains. We'll see superheroes, and I I like the idea of a Shield movie. Um, I think it would have a lot more. I think Agents of Shield would have a lot more replay value than would something along the lines of, you know, uh, Black Panther, Moon Knight, something. So one of their one-off, you know, a Daredevil, mm-hmm. something along those lines. One of their sort of one-off um, titles that they could potentially make into a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, uh, but we would definitely, we will definitely see Marvel IP in it, if only to drive people to, to check it out, mm-hmm. especially, uh, IP that we are unlikely to see movies about, um, which, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of those. So I'm, uh, I'm interested. I do like the agents of shield idea though. I, I don't think that's a terrible idea. No. Yeah. I think they have plenty of one material and history to look at just because shield has been around for quite a bit, if only right. through uh, Nick Fury agent of shield. But you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. You got gadgets, you've got uh really high up there, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And the people who do it aren't, are not necessarily, you know, these are the people who are by and large kind of unimpressed with superheroes. Mm-hmm. Un- uh, Coulson, one of Coulson's best, abil- best qualities in the film that he's practically unflappable, you know, the thing from Thor steps up and he just steps out with a megaphone. And when it starts to heat up, he goes, Oh, here we go. Right. You know, it's it. What does it take for an agent like that to get that way? Exactly. 
what kind of crap do they have to deal with on a daily basis? So now we're talking about almost a uh, – it's almost Men in Blackian. Which is also why I'm a big fan. Right. Because yeah, you know me and Men in yeah, Black. Yeah, Russell's a huge Men in Black fan. Um, did you ever see Men in Black 3? Still haven't. What the fuck? It's taking time. I'll get there. Okay. Don't push me. Eh, whatever. You're just you're you're delaying. You're just delaying the enjoyment you're gonna have from Men in Black Three. Speaking of movies and speaking of um, stuff that should be watched, I kind of want your read on this because uh, the trailer for the new the the new Red Dawn remake is out. Really? And yeah, uh, Chris Hemsworth's in it along with um, a couple of other people. But we can take a second if you want to go watch it because I really want your honest-to-God opinion because I looked at it and I had two reactions. And just for kind of quick primer, they um, this is taking place modern day. Chris Hemworth plays a, um, a U.S. Marine who I want to say is out of the Marines and he's just at home kind of kicking around uh-huh. with his family's couch trying to figure out what to do with his life. I'm watching it right now. Exactly. You've got the Wolverines still. You know, there's even a shot of a football game. Then all of a sudden the lights go out. And then after about a day or so with no communication, with nothing really going on, they see planes start paratrooping people in. And they get shot down. There's a a shot with one of them blowing up a house when it gets blown up. You find out that there is some new type of weapon that has wiped out power across the U.S. Central Command is down. There is there is no organized response, and North Korea is moving in. Oh, they do um, North Korea. Yes, they, there is. I believe that they had initially planned to do China as the enemy. Yeah, but, but she... then they digitally swapped China out and made it North Korea. Wow, I don't. I can, know I can if, kind of understand why. Yeah, I don't know if that's entirely the case. I just saw that as a comment, and I was like, er. So I had to go. You kind of kind of go look that up and see if that was true or not. But it has a lot of the same things that you had from the original, you know, Red Dawn when Russia jumped uh-huh. in and, and invaded tiny, tiny, you know, was it Montana in Red Dawn? I, I don't remember. It's been a long, yeah. long time since I've seen that movie. But still, semi, semi-backwoods, you know. Right, small town America. Town. Right. And then these kids go out and they guerrilla tactic, militia tactics, you know. Right. Cause havoc. Which is essentially what they're planning to do here, and then you've got you know kind of rousing shots of Chris, Hems- Chris Hemsworth, yeah, who plays a marine, right? Which is which which I which I I do like I like that as a change, adding in an older, adding in an older almost almost a a mentor type, yeah. But then you you also have to get even older mentor type, um, and I his name is bracket escaping me. But you have another pretty well-known guy. He's been in half a dozen different things. Josh Hutcherson? Um, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Hang on, hang on, hang on. No. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Gotcha. So he's in it and, and kind of comes in and kind of clues them into what's going on right. and helps them out. But at the same time, I watched this and... Red Dawn having kind of, you know, the old Red Dawn having kind of the, the legacy that it has had. I just, I had, I had two reactions. The first reaction was, one, okay, Chris Hemsworth, I might be able to, wow, his accent is all over the place. 
Give the guy a break. No, he played yeah, yeah, Thor, yeah. for God's sake. And he's an Aussie, too, right? Yeah. So it, it sounded like he was trying to lapse into Thorish every few seconds. Well, and I was like, he's used Ooh. to it. Every time yeah. he let me let me put it to you this way. Every time he uses that that accent, he makes seventeen million dollars. I would occasionally lapse into Thor accent too. And probably oh, gets- honey, can I get you some more water? Yes, I will have water, mortal. And then hold. And then he smashes out. a coffee cup. And then hold your hand out for money. <laughs> I would I, I would do the same thing. I have to admit. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't hate it. It looks interesting. It looks, it's exciting. They've got a lot of, uh, they've got a lot of tactical stuff going on. I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm a fan. I, I'm I, it doesn't blow me away. I don't love it. I don't, I'm not, you know, counting down the days, but. See, here's my good. second, here's my second reaction to it. There is, if there is a, a portion of American psychosis or neurosis that needs to be kind of looked at it is the survivalist militia aspect Mm -hmm. of the film that has me kind of question and it it is very jingoistic um very very you know ultra nationalist you know is defending our home and against these red invaders it's literally the same thing it's defending our home against these red invaders like the red commies right and it kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable because there are militias out there that use Red Dawn as like, you know, it's not necessarily kind of how they build themselves up, but it's it's definitely a poster on their wall. It's something they look at and point to and sit around and watch whenever they, you know, it's whenever just the, whenever the mood hits. Yeah. You know, and, and that that as a as a, an old movie made during, you know, communist scares. Right. I, I get it and I understand it and it has its place. This movie today as a remake, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it shouldn't be made. I don't think it's, you know, oh, we shouldn't be doing all the stuff with the guns because we have shootings all the time. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is I just watched it, and there's, there's more than a small part of me that was a little uncomfortable watching it because this is a much more global world and a much more interconnected world than it was you know, when the first Red Dawn was made. Right. And I just, I look at this and I go, do we really, you know, is this really... Is it a good idea? Is it a good idea a good to idea make this today? movie? Today. Right. Mean, even, even, yes, I understand the Red Dawn when it was made, but today, I don't know. Well, I, you know, I can, I can see, I can see what you're saying. I think it's a valid point. I also think that's something that, that they've thought about quite a bit. If I had to guess, that's probably why they changed China to North Korea, because everybody knows that North Korea is not capable of doing what they're doing in this movie. No, yeah. They're, they're just not. I mean, the people, they can't feed themselves. Yeah. You know, it, we've, seen their, we've seen their rocket well, launches that right. were within a few minutes put to the Benny Hill theme. We know that, that North Korea doesn't have this, this capability. North Korea has kind of become like a cartoon enemy. Which is, I'm assuming, why they changed China to North Korea. Yeah, now, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it probably they don't, they just don't want to piss off China as our, as our, you know, our partners in, uh, our, as being a trade partner for absolutely no reason. Um, you know, I, I think it would, it all depends on more than what you see in this movie. I, I think it depends a lot more on, on how they treat the sort of militia e types you know i because you know i'm i'm very familiar with ruby ridge and things like that that have happened that have involved these isolationist <laughs> militia types 
And, you know, it's something to really think about and to really remember that there are these people out here that will use this as a as a tool or will use this as validation for their for their whack job beliefs. Um, you know, I, I think it's a valid concern. I do. Uh, I hope that the filmmakers are smart enough to have done this in such a way that it doesn't glorify those people and makes it more about the story because the story is a really normal story that we see a lot of. I mean, it's essentially an alien movie, except the aliens are, are, are things that we're familiar with. They're North Koreans or they're, they're Russians or that's essentially what it is. And people don't, and you know, rightfully so we don't get upset about alien movies. Um, but usually that also includes a coming together with the rest of the world and doing all the yada, 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 when in all, when in in reality, this red dawn is going to be the U S versus another, another uh, foreign force. Right. So, and um, that, if anything, that has me, you know, kind of the most concerned is that, I mean, right. Like I said, I see where the problem is and it could potentially be a problem. I think we need to see a little bit more of the movie to ensure that, let me put it this way. I think you can do a Red Dawn remake and have it not be have it not be that way. Have it not give you that that feeling. And they can do it almost as an alien movie, just we just happen to know who the aliens are. Yeah. I hope I hope so, because I mean I I don't want to think that we're making not you know, that kind of movie today. looking at this, I agree. More needs to be seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um might even be worth watching in the theater just to see it. But I'd be interested eh. in seeing it in the theater. I really would. I mean, yeah. you know, look at it this way. Compare it to Terminator, Terminator 2. It's a very similar kind of movie. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it doesn't involve time travel and robots, but right. it's, it's a very similar sort of movie. It's, you know, and, and I know that there have been white supremacist groups that have taken uh, that have taken the Terminator franchise and essentially done the same thing. They've said, you know, this is a this is an allegory for what we're going through right now. I think half of it has to do with how they do the movie. And if they do the movie wrong, if, if they do the movie incorrectly, if they do it in such a way that they don't respect the very delicate situation that they are. And I think changing from China to North Korea is a signal that they are uh, just 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 completely pulling out of the ether. I think it's a signal that they are very serious about the way they're doing the movie. And I, I really think we'll have to see more about the movie. And I, I think they're on the right track. Now this comes from someone who's not, I'm honestly not a huge fan of the original red Dawn. I've seen it. It's, it's good, but it's not a movie that I really identify with, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe that colors my opinion slightly. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see it. I, I definitely think it's something we need to, we need to kind of stay on top of and think about, but you know, if if you're having this, if you're having these thoughts, then other people are too. You see one one thing about Red Dawn, cause I, I watched the original Red Dawn a few Mm -hmm. times. Um, one thing that struck me about it was not that was not the, you know, oh, we need to, you know, protect our own and uh-huh. we can't trust in the government and we have to form a militia to blah, 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 blah. That wasn't the part that struck me. The thing, the scene that I keep going back to is the scene where they have some Russian prisoners and they have to figure out what they're going to do with them. And then they have, you know, one of one of their own that has correct me if I'm wrong, but this has been a while since I've seen it, but they have one of their own that's basically turned against them, right? And I believe so. It's been yeah. a long, long time since I've or at seen least the disobeyed orders, right? And they had to kill him, so they had to kill one of their own. 
and they killed prisoners. And making that decision and doing that was, you know, it was a, it was a big part of the movie. It mm-hmm. was part of this, you know, we are facing the real decisions that come with war. Mm-hmm. And this is the toll that it has on us. You know, that made it, in my opinion, it elevated it above what it was. I just don't know if you're going to be able to achieve that same impact this time around. I think it'd be worth watching to see if you can. And if that has been kept in mind when they made this movie, sure. You know, that was what the movie was about to me. It wasn't, you know, small town America goes to war. It's that war comes to small town America. Right. What does that do to us? Right. Yeah, I mean, if they make it into a big flag-waving Americans versus the North Koreans, Americans are unstoppable, and they they destroy those dirty Asians, then yeah, then it's a bad movie. I tend to think that's probably not going to be the case, just based on what I've seen, based on the care they've already taken in changing China to North Korea and and, and things like that. I, I I remain optimistic about Red Dawn as a movie. So I guess we'll see. I'm sure it'll it's Thanksgiving. Uh, so I'm sure in the next month or so, we'll see a lot more about it. And, uh, you know, it'll I, I, I think we will find out. I definitely I definitely think I'll be in the uh, in the theater to check it out, if only to kind of see if if we're right one way or the other. So, yep. Anyway, that's about all the time we have for today. Um, as always, our music is Opprop featuring Essa. You need to check them out on uhort.no. Go check us out on Twitter. We are at GIR Podcast. You can also shoot us an email. That's GIR Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Wolverines! Wolverines!